Welcome back to The Law. I'm D.K. Williams, and this is episode 42, the United States Department of Commerce versus the state of New York. This is the case you heard about, I'm sure, about a month ago, uh, where the U.S. Supreme Court, was a 5-4 to four decision, said that the Trump administration could not ask if people were citizens during the 2020 census, which is coming up. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com, and look for some upcoming collaborations with speakeasyideas.com from me as well. Check them out online. I'll let you know more details as they become available. And remember, follow me on social media. I'm at Blue Carp on Twitter and on Facebook.com slash Blue Carp. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the Facebook page and like it. That's The Law with DK Williams on Facebook. Wherever you're listening, like, comment, subscribe. You know the deal. Help get this thing more publicity and spread around the world. So who are the name participants in this one? It's the United States Department of Commerce because one of its subdivisions is the United States Census Bureau. And that's what we're dealing with. So that's why Department of Commerce is in the title. New York is one of many states and cities and other entities that sued the Trump administration to stop it from asking the citizenship question on the census. New York was first listed. So that's how we have the Department of Commerce versus New York. The Supreme Court tally, I did say it was a five to four decision and it is but it's a little bit more to it than that as well. This case was cobbled together in different portions. I'm not going to do the roster rundown like I have on some of these older cases because I've already gone over the the current construction of this current Supreme Court. But this opinion was divided into five Roman numerals, one, two, three, four, five, with section four, section IV, further divided into three subparts, A, B, and C. Now, Chief Justice Roberts wrote the whole thing, and he was joined by different members of the court for different sections that he wrote. Parts one and two of the five were unanimous, basically the facts and procedure of the case. It's 9-0. Part three was Roberts joined by the quote-unquote conservatives, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh. So I was part three was five to four. Part 4A It was Roberts joined by Thomas, RBG, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, and Kavanaugh. So a lot more of them on that one. That was 7-2. They just left out Alito and Gorsuch. Part 4B and 4C, same as the conservative majority. Roberts wrote it, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh. And Part 5, this is really where the Trump administration lost, was Roberts, who wrote the whole thing, and the quote-unquote liberal justices. RBG, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. So that's the five to four part where the Supreme Court said the Trump administration cannot ask the citizenship question on the census. So what are the facts? How did we get here? How did they come to this conclusion? Section one starts. I'm going to read from the case because they lay it out pretty well. The Secretary of Commerce decided to reinstate a question about citizenship on the 2020 census questionnaire. And notice, reinstate, because this has been on there in the past. Back to the court. A group of plaintiffs challenged that decision on constitutional and statutory grounds. We, the Supreme Court, now decide whether the Secretary of the Commerce Department violated the Enumeration Clause of the Constitution, the Census Act, or otherwise abused his discretion. Court talks about what the Constitution requires, because it is always important to start there when the Constitution comes into play. The court wrote, in order to apportion members of the House of Representatives among the states, the Constitution requires an enumeration of the population every 10 years to be made in such a manner, that's in the Constitution, as Congress shall by law direct. 
That's also in the Constitution. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. You can check it out. Uh, the 14th Amendment also comes into play, Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, because that's when they took out the whole three-fifths clause and everything else. In the Census Act, which is a statute that Congress passed, Congress delegated to the Secretary of Commerce, part of the executive branch, the task of conducting the census every 10 years, quote, in such form and content as he may determine, end quote. So the Secretary of Commerce, a member of the executive branch, has some leeway and some discretion. The Secretary is aided in that task by the Census Bureau, a statistical agency housed within the Department of Commerce. All right, we kind of talked about that. So the Constitution gave Congress the authority to enact the Census Act, which gave discretion to the Secretary of Commerce. The court notes that the number that we get out of the census is used to apportion the federal representatives to Congress and also to allow federal funds to the states and to draw electoral districts. Why there are federal funds to redistribute to the states is another topic, but they use it to do that. The court goes on. The census additionally serves as a means of collecting demographic information, which is used for such varied purposes as computing federal grant and aid benefits, drafting of legislation, urban and regional planning, business planning, and academic and social studies. Okay, I'll stop there for a second. When you read about the things that the federal government is doing with this information, it just reminds me of a centrally planned economy. These are like Soviet-era bureaus here. Bus the federal government is doing business planning? What? Why is the federal government doing business planning? Court goes on. Over the years, the census has asked questions about, for example, race, sex, age, health, education, occupation, housing, and military service. That's a lot of questions they're asking. It is also asked about radio ownership, the age at your first marriage, and native tongue. The Census Act, quote, obliges everyone to answer census questions truthfully and requires the secretary to keep individual answers confidential, including from other government agencies. Okay, now, court has made the conclusion here that the Census Act obliges everyone to answer all those questions, but here's a good, relatively easy way to fail to comply with that dictate. And I routinely advocate, as you guys know, when government tries to assert an illegitimate authority to fail to comply. My policy is to answer how many people live in the house and refuse to answer any of that other stuff. The Constitution gives the authority to count, period, not collect additional data. None of this other stuff the Supreme Court just kind of glosses over. Don't nullify the Census Act statute telling you you have to answer these things and the Supreme Court's approval of it. If they start threatening you with jail time or fines or something, I understand. Go ahead and go along with it if you, if you wish. I would never judge anybody for that. But don't make it easy for them. Don't just roll over and comply. The court goes on. There have been 23 decennial censuses from the first census in 1790 to the most recent one in 2010. Get this. Every census between 1820 and 2000, with the exception of 1840, asked at least some of the population about their citizenship or place of birth. So here's where Trump supporters are like, hey, if they could ask for most of the country's history, why can't they do it in 2020? Well, that's an excellent question. Now, remember, they shouldn't be able to ask anything except how many people live in your house. But the Supreme Court, again, just glosses right over that. But given that they have asked for all of these questions for so long, what has changed? The court goes on. So about to come up for 2020, Trump's in office in 2010, Obama's administration. The format changed. All households received the same questionnaire, which asked about sex, age, race, Hispanic origin, and living arrangements. Like it's the government's business. That was me, my parenthetical. The court goes on. The more detailed demographic questions previously asked on the long-form questionnaire, including the question about citizenship, were instead asked in the American Community Survey, which is sent each year to a rotating sample of about 2.6% of households. So they took it off the census and asked in this other government survey mining for information about you that they have no legitimate authority to collect. Now you can volunteer. 
obviously, but they don't have the authority to compel you to, not the legitimate authority. But when a guy comes to your house with a gun, he's got authority, legitimate or not. Court goes on. The Census Bureau and former Bureau officials have resisted occasional proposals to resume asking a citizenship question of everyone on the ground that doing so would discourage non-citizens from responding to the census and lead to a less accurate count of the total population. And remember, the Constitution requires a count of the people, not of the citizens. If it required a count of the citizens, this would be moot. But that's not what it says. And in particular, originally, when we had the three-fifths compromise, they were counting three-fifths of the slaves they clearly weren't citizens. Not at the time. They weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to do anything. But they were still counted in some proportion. So again, you can see how they were never counting just citizens. They were counting people. The court notes that according to the Bureau, the Census Bureau, any effort to ascertain citizenship will inevitably jeopardize the overall accuracy of the population count. So getting closer to the Trump administration and their decision to put this back on there, the court notes, in March 2018, the Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, announced in a memo that he had decided to reinstate a question about citizenship on the 2020 census. The secretary stated that he was acting at the request of the Department of Justice, which sought improved data about citizen voting age population for purposes of enforcing the Voting Rights Act the VRA. Specifically, the act's ban on diluting the influence of minority voters by depriving them of single-member districts in which they can elect their preferred candidates. Now, that was found to be a pretext by the 5-4 to four majority in Part 5, the Liberal Justices plus Robert. And a pretext is a reason given in justification of a cause of action that is not the real reason. The court gets into a lot of stats and accuracy of taking a sample, different sizes, extrapolating the samples to the whole. They talk about that a lot. And I want to point out this particular argument by the Trump administration in favor of asking the questions. The court says he, the department secretary, also noted the long history of the citizenship question on the census, okay, as well as the facts that the United Nations recommends collecting census-based citizenship information and other major democracies, such as Australia, Canada, France, Indonesia, Ireland, Germany, Mexico, Spain, and the United Kingdom inquire about citizenship in their censuses. Now, the reason I bring that up. Because sometimes conservatives get a little indignant. They mock progressives when progressives point to the practices or the law of some other country as being irrelevant to what we do in the United States because the United States has a specific constitution that doesn't apply in those places. So sometimes the conservatives mock that idea. Somehow here they think it's relevant. I'll leave it to you to ask why they have changed their opinion on that. Kind of curious, right? Not really. So the court goes on. Shortly after the secretary announced his decision to put the citizenship question back in the census, two groups of plaintiffs filed suit in federal district court in New York, challenging the decision on several grounds. The first group of plaintiffs included 18 states, including New York, the District of Columbia, various counties and cities, and the United States Conference of Mayors. Woo. They alleged that the Secretary's decision violated the Enumeration Clause of the Constitution, which is absurd. They also said that it violated the requirements of the Administrative Procedure Act. And that's the, the APA, the Administrative Procedure Act, is going to be how Trump is uh, told not to ask the question. So this we're in litigation now. Then in June of 2018, which is really just a little over a year ago, the government submitted to the district court the Commerce Department's administrative record, the materials that Secretary Ross of the Department of Commerce considered in making his decision. Now, this administrative record is important because it becomes part of the court file that the court uses to decide whatever they're going to decide in every APA case. 
this Administrative Procedure Act. And again, go back and look at the podcast we did on Chevron. Can we talk about that more? Because it's all about the Administrative Procedure Act. But after the government turned over its record, the plaintiffs wanted more documents. And this is important. This is from the case. The parties, which is the plaintiffs who want to stop the citizenship question and the Trump administration, which wants to ask it. The parties jointly stipulated to the inclusion of more than 12,000 pages of additional materials in the administrative record. After determining that respondents had the standing to suit, respondents are the plaintiffs, the district court ruled that the secretary's action was arbitrary and capricious, this is at the trial level, based on a pretextual rationale and violated certain provisions of the Census Act. So the trial court found a violation of the statute, not of the Constitution, and the Supreme Court ultimately agrees with that. An arbitrary and capricious is a standard that is rarely found to be violated. Supreme Court doesn't do that, just the district court did. And this part is important. The court, the district court, and this is the Supreme Court describing it, granted judgment to the plaintiffs on their statutory claims, vacated the secretary's decision to ask about citizenship, and enjoined him, ordered him to stop from asking it, quote, until he cured the legal errors the court had identified. All right. So the popular media has not mentioned this part of the district court's opinion about until the legal errors cured. So it's not saying that you can never ask that question again. It's saying that they made errors in reaching the conclusion to do it. And if they fix those, then they can answer it. Now, there's not enough time for them to do it in 2020, in essence, because you remember Trump said, hey, maybe we can do it anyway. But he's abandoned that. But it's not like Trump was just saying, oh, well, screw the judges. He was saying, hey, they said if we fix these errors, we can do it. Maybe we can fix those errors. But they've decided not to worry about it. They don't have the time. And the Supreme Court said the same thing in, in this decision. From the district court, the appeal went straight to the Supreme Court. Part two of the Supreme Court opinion is about standing. Supreme Court agrees nine to nothing the plaintiffs had standing. Standing's important, but for our purposes, it's boring. The court just points out that the state plaintiffs, at least, will lose out on the federal funds, etc. And that's why they have, would have a legitimate and real harm done to them if they don't win. So that gives them the standing to contest it. Then we get to part three. Okay, so Roberts wrote it. He wrote the whole thing. He was joined by the quote-unquote conservatives, Thomas Alito Gorsuch Kavanaugh. In this part of the constitutional claim, and this is where they throw out the constitutional claims of the plaintiffs, the court says, the enumeration clause of the Constitution does not provide a basis to set aside the Secretary's decision. The text of that clause vests Congress with virtually unlimited discretion in conducting the 10-year enumeration. And Congress has delegated its broad authority over to the census to the secretary. Again, let's look right at the Constitution. The enumeration clause is the part that says representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers. The census clause, all of, all of this is Article 1, Section 2, and enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress and within every subsequent 10 years in such manner as they, Congress, shall by law direct. The court notes, given the expansive grant of authority, we have rejected challenges to the conduct of the census where the secretary's decisions bore a reasonable relationship to the accomplishment of an actual enumeration. The court goes on, all three branches of government have understood the Constitution to allow Congress, and by extension the secretary, to use the census for more than simply counting the population. Now, we mentioned this before, but the Supreme Court gives no constitutional authority for this ruling. Not here. They don't do it. They just gloss over it. No, I'm no big deal. But it is, actually. Where does Congress get the authority to ask other questions other than the count? Because it's not in the Constitution. But the Supreme Court is like, oh, well, we've always done it. No big deal. The Supreme Court goes on. In 1790, the court goes on. In 1790, the Congress sought or permitted the secretary to seek information about matters as varied as age, sex, marital status, health, trade, profession, literacy, and value of real estate owned. Really? But they did. Since 1820, 
it has sought or permitted the Secretary to seek information about citizenship in particular. Federal courts have approved the practice of collecting demographic data in the census. Again, they've approved it, but there's no constitutional authority to do that. And of course they have, right? Federal courts have given Congress the authority to regulate activity that is neither interstate nor commerce pursuant to the authority to regulate interstate commerce. And that's a joke. We've discussed that in Worker v. Filburn in episode five. The court justifies it with the necessary and proper stuff. But in order to get a count, it's not necessary and proper to ask someone how much property they own. And if you believe it is, I can't help you. Court goes on to point out that history matters. Here's in other areas, our interpretation of the Constitution is guided by a government practice that has been widespread and unchallenged since the early days of the Republic. All right, so the fact that it's unchallenged means that even if something has been wrong for 150 years, because someone hasn't complained about it yet, it's okay. That does not necessarily follow. Gravity existed for all of eternity before Isaac Newton said, hey, this is gravity. People thought the Earth was the center of the universe before Copernicus figured it out. But according to the Supreme Court, that long period of being wrong is a reason to keep it wrong. And I reject that. So Roberts for the court goes on. In light of the early understanding of a long practice under the enumeration clause, we conclude that it permits Congress and the government to inquire about citizenship on the census questionnaire. We need not and do not decide the constitutionality of any other question. Part four. So there in part three, they said the constitution is no barrier. They can ask it. But the district court said that the decision to reinstate the citizenship question was in violation of the census act. So the Supreme Court is going to address that part. Section 4A, this is the seven to two majority where it's Roberts plus most of the rest of the court, Thomas, RBG, Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Kavanaugh. Everybody except Alito and Gorsuch. So the court states, the Administrative Procedure Act embodies a basic presumption of judicial review and instructs reviewing courts to set aside agency action that is arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion, or otherwise not in accordance with law. Through the Census Act, Congress has delegated its broad authority over the census to the Secretary of Commerce, but they do not leave this discretion unbounded. Part 4B, what changes in 4B is application of that review. Part 4A was saying that it's subject to review. So back to 4B, we're in a 5-4 majority. The liberals are not on this part anymore, and Alito and Gorsuch are back. The court says, at the heart of the suit, is plaintiff's claim that the secretary abused his discretion in deciding to reinstate a citizenship question. We reviewed this secretary's exercise of discretion under the deferential arbitrary and capricious standard. That means we're going to defer to it unless it's arbitrary and capricious. We, the Supreme Court, may not substitute our judgment for that of the secretary, but instead must confine ourselves to ensuring that he remained within the bounds of reasoned decision-making. Okay, that's another meaningless phrase that pretends to be serious. That gives you no actual guidance, right? The Supreme Court notes in this section that the district court, the trial level, set aside the secretary's decision for two independent reasons. His course of action was not supported by the evidence, and his stated rationale was pretextual. So the Supreme Court said that the decision was supported by the evidence, but that the rationale was pretextual. And they discussed that for several pages. The court says, The choice between reasonable policy alternatives in the face of uncertainty was the secretary's to make. The court, the district court, improperly substituted its judgment for that of the agency. So on this point, Trump administration has won. The Supreme Court, majority part here, five to four, says that the evidence before the secretary suggested that non-citizen households tend to be more distrustful of and less likely to respond to any governmental effort to collect information. And I just wanted to include that because I want to give them props for being that distrustful, and I encourage that attitude for everyone. Court goes on. The secretary was required to consider the evidence and give reasons for his chosen course of action. He wanted to ask the question about citizenship. He did so. It is not for us, the Supreme Court, to ask whether his decision was the best one possible or even whether it was better than the alternatives. 
by second-guessing the Secretary's weighing of risks and benefits and penalizing him for departing from the Census Bureau's inferences and assumptions, Justice Breyer, in his dissent, and the District Court, substitute his judgment for that of the agency. 4C dealt with the alleged technical violations that the conservative majority said the government and Trump administration did not violate. So far, they've said that given the facts before the secretary, he was within his discretion to make that decision. So far, so good for Trump, but it's not over yet. Section 5. This is where the court rules against the Trump administration. Trump won Section 1, 2, 3, 4A, B, and C. And now in Section 5, it's a 5 to 4 majority, but it's Roberts plus the quote-unquote liberals, RBG, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. We now consider the district court's determination that the secretary's decision must be set aside because it rested on a pretextual basis, which the government conceded below, the Trump administration, would warrant a remand to the agency. Again, a remand for further evidence. This five before part of the Supreme Court, the liberals and Roberts, say that administrative decisions are routinely informed by unstated considerations of politics, the legislative process, public relations, interest group relations, foreign relations, and national security concerns, among others. So they're acknowledging that all kinds of politics come into play in these decisions. Finally, the court goes on. We have recognized a narrow exception to the general rule against inquiring into the mental processes of the administrative decision makers. On a strong showing of bad faith or improper behavior, such an inquiry may be warranted and may justify extra record discovery. Recall that shortly after this litigation began, the secretary filed a supplemental memo that added new pertinent information to the administrative record. We, the Supreme Court, agree with the government that the district court should not have ordered that discovery when it did, but the new material that the party stipulated should have been part of the administrative record showed, among other things, that the Voting Rights Act played an insignificant role in the decision-making process. Supreme Court goes on. The evidence showed that the secretary was determined to reinstate the citizenship question From the time he entered office, instructed his staff to make it happen, waited while the Department of Commerce officials explored whether another agency would request census-based citizenship data, subsequently contacted the Attorney General to ask if the Department of Justice would make that request, and adopted the Voting Rights Act rationale late in the process. In the district court's view, this evidence established that the Secretary had made up his mind to reinstate a citizenship question well before receiving the Department of Justice's request, and did so for reasons unknown but unrelated to the Voting Rights Act. There you go. That's the way the court based its decision here, that they were lying about it. So in essence, it seems to me like if they had just admitted it all along, but if they'd been more transparent about it, they could have done it. The Supreme Court goes on. Viewing the evidence as a whole, we share the district court's conviction that the decision to reinstate a citizenship question cannot be adequately explained in terms of the Department of Justice's request for improved citizenship data to better enforce the Voting Rights Act. Several points considered together reveal a significant mismatch between the decision the Secretary made and the rationale he provided. The record shows that the Secretary began taking steps to reinstate a citizenship question about a week into his tenure, but it contains no hint that he was considering Voting Rights Act enforcement in connection with that project. The Secretary's Director of Policy did not know why the Secretary wished to reinstate the question, but saw it as his task to find the best rationale. Altogether, the evidence tells a story that does not match the explanation the Secretary gave for his decision. It is rare to review a record as extensive as the one before us when evaluating informal agency action. Again, in hindsight, the government shouldn't have turned over all that extra stuff. 
And if they had just had a legitimate reason all along, legitimate in the eyes of the court, they could have done it. They could have asked this question if they had been smarter about it because it's been asked for over a century. But the court says, we cannot ignore the disconnect between the decision made and the explanation given. So they needed a better explanation from the beginning. Our review is deferential, but we are not required to exhibit a naivete from which ordinary citizens are free. That's a cute turn of phrase. So the court is tying this into the requirements of the Administrative Procedure Act and how courts are going to review those decisions if they don't get legitimate answers about why the agencies do something. So the courts, in talking about that, the court says, the reasoned explanation requirement of administrative law, after all, is meant to ensure that agencies offer genuine justifications for important decisions, reasons that can be scrutinized by courts and the interested public. Accepting contrived reasons would defeat the purpose of the enterprise. Reasoned decision-making under the Administrative Procedure Act calls for an explanation for agency action. What was provided here was more of a distraction. So again, there's much made about Trump's since-abandoned effort to go ahead even after the Supreme Court made this decision and include the citizenship question on the 2020 census. But that position isn't entirely unreasonable. The Supreme Court remanded the case and if the Trump administration could somehow show that they weren't being pretextual, they might have been able to succeed in getting the question on the census in 2020. Time was certainly an issue. It is an issue. And they've dropped that since then. But it wasn't like Trump just saying, screw the Supreme Court. And again, I'm only going to answer how many people live here, nothing else. So the whole thing would be moot if everybody followed my example. It's important to note the Supreme Court here did not say that the citizenship question is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court did not say that. They acknowledge that it has been asked for decades, legitimately, and decades, over a century. Trump lost this case because of what the court deemed a failure to properly justify the decision under the Administrative Procedure Act, not the Constitution. And in, in a way, this reminds me of the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, because the Supreme Court in that case didn't say Jack Phillips the baker was vindicated. They just said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was so blatantly biased Jack Phillips couldn't get a fair hearing. In essence, they were the U.S. Supreme Court was telling the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, avoid comparing the baker to a Nazi next time. As long as you do that, maybe you can make him bake the cake. And in this type of case, with the census, the Supreme Court saying that the administration just needs to document some legitimate reasons and not wait until later to come up with them. There you have it. And let me just hit you with a highlight from one of the dissents. It's actually a dissent and a concurrence. They dissent in part concurrent part. So Thomas wrote this part, and here's a portion of it, and he was joined by Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. In March 2018, this is Thomas recounting what happened, the Secretary of Commerce exercised his broad discretion over the administration of the census to resume a nearly unbroken practice of asking a question relating to citizenship. Our only role, the Supreme Court, in this case, is to decide whether the Secretary complied with the law and gave a reasoned explanation for his decision. The court correctly answers these questions in the affirmative in some sections. That ought to end our inquiry. The court, however, goes further. For the first time ever, the court invalidates an agency action solely because it questions the sincerity of the agency's otherwise adequate rationale. That's what I'm saying. Echoing the din of suspicion and distrust that seems to typify modern discourse, the court declares the secretary's memorandum pretextual because, viewing the evidence as a whole, his explanation that including a citizenship question on the census would help enforce the Voting Rights Act seems to have been contrived. The court's holding reflects an unprecedented departure from our deferential review of discretionary agency decisions. 
So again, like I pointed out, this goes to the concept of the Chevron deference, which we talked about in episode 27. The liberals usually love that. They usually say the court should defer to the administrative agencies. They're the smart ones. But here, for some reasons, the liberals don't want to give that deference. Again, I asked, is that some principled reason or merely political? There you have it. I'm D.K. Williams. This has been The Law, Episode 42, The Department of Commerce versus New York, where the Supreme Court said that the Trump administration cannot ask about citizenship on the census because the reasons offered for wanting to ask it were pretextual, despite the question being asked for over a century on the census in the past. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And look for collaboration with me and Speakeasy Ideas coming soon. Check it out, speakeasyideas.com. I'll let you know what's happening. Holler at me with your comments, Twitter, at the Blue Carp, Facebook.com slash Blue Carp, and the Facebook page for this podcast, The Law with D.K. Williams. Check me out at paypal.me slash The Law D.K. Williams as well, if you are so inclined. Heck no, I won't do what you tell me. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously. <laughs>